As people age, they may start to notice cognitive decline. Not all adults are affected, however, and some older adults may perform as well or better than younger adults in some cognitive domains. So should all older adults be screened for mild cognitive impairment? I'm Dr. Diane Kelso, Deputy Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Kevin Potty, Associate Professor of Family Medicine and Epidemiology and Community Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Potty is also Principal Scientist at the C.T. Lamont Primary Healthcare Research Centre, Breweriere Research Institute at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Potty is a member of the Writing Group on the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Healthcare. The task force has just published evidence-based guidelines for screening for cognitive impairment in older adults. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Cognitive impairment is a continuum that starts with cognitive decline and may end with dementia. What is the focus of the task force guideline? The focus of our guidelines is mild cognitive impairment. And mild cognitive impairment is noticeable but does not substantially affect daily function, whereas dementia involves cognitive or brain changes that are severe enough to affect daily function. When we talk about mild cognitive impairment, we have to be aware that this does put people at risk for dementia, but we know that other people will actually remain stable in their cognitive function, and a few people will actually improve over time. So, Kevin, who does this guideline apply to? And I think more importantly, who does it not apply to? Our guideline is aimed at people that are not symptomatic with any cognitive decline symptoms. And we are not aiming to do a guideline for people that may be ill with you know, dementia or could be other conditions that affect brain function. So, so this guideline is about screening people who we think are asymptomatic versus a family member bringing a parent in, you know, who's displaying some memory loss, and that would be more a case finding. So we're talking about screening for cognitive impairment in people who we think are asymptomatic? Exactly. And so we're talking about the the general population that appears to be doing uh, well, and we're talking about this population even as they grow older. So we're not setting a, an age limit and suggesting that at a certain age, people should be screened either. So when people are doing fine, we are suggesting, you know, do not screen. Well, we are actually recommending not to screen. Now, there are tools available out there for screening for cognitive impairment. Can you tell us a little bit about the tools that are around? There's two main tools that are being used in in Canada. Um, The Mini Mental Status Exam, the MMSE, is very well known to, to many Canadian practitioners. And then there's the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Tool, which is a little bit newer, but it's also uh, quite um, highly used. These tools have the ability to estimate if somebody may have trouble with cognitive um, function. And based on um, you know, many years of, of trials, they are able to set cutoff zones to help a clinician estimate as to whether or not someone may have a cognitive impairment of some kind. But these are screening tools. Is there a a preference between one versus the other? I think one of the main things now, I think, is that you have to pay to use the MMSC. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That, you know, relatively small fee is is actually, I think, a big deterrent in general family practice these days. And I think we have to be aware that these tools 
are not as precise as we would like. For instance, we found um, false positive um, rates up to 25% for the um, Montreal Cognitive Assessment Tool and 10% at least for the um, MMSE. And this is a pretty substantial number of people that could be diagnosed or screened inappropriately to have a, a problem with, uh, with their cognition, and they may not. Which then, obviously, if you get a result, a positive result on this test, then you're obliged to, of course, investigate further, which can be upsetting to the person, their family, uh, especially, well, at the end, I guess, if they find out they're okay, that, that's wonderful, but you've put them through a lot in the meantime. Yeah, and we know that there's people that do not come back for the diagnostic inquiry that is required after the screening. We know that some people could actually believe they have a real problem and they could change their whole life from selling their, their home, stopping their job, changing their family structure. So this is the kind of thing that we recognize could be a real harm. So it's not guaranteed that you'll actually have resolution of whether or not you have or do not have an actual condition. So this is a concern. Now, the task force uses very rigorous methodology in all their guidelines. Can you tell us a little bit about what the task force does to develop a guideline for us to use? The grade methods, which we've integrated into the task force methods, require us to come up with patient-important outcomes from the beginning. And so we're, we're not willing to accept um, necessarily just a, a test result or a, what we call an intermediate or surrogate outcome. We want to see how, you know, does this affect whether people live longer or they have a better quality of life? Does it affect their morbidity and suffering with disease? The next thing that I think is very important is that we take a big in interest in harms. And so we aren't willing to overlook harms in the process. We're talking about screening a large population of people that may be well. And so we really need to have evidence that there's benefits. And we also have to make sure that we are looking for any harms that could happen if we were to recommend something. So these elements are you know, quite important in uh, an evidence-based guideline approach. And of course, we do systematic reviews and we synthesize those in meta-analysis. And then we actually are able to use grade tables and come up with actual estimates of, uh, of certainty of our evidence. So in your systematic reviews, you looked at medications, you looked at other interventions on cognitive function, behavior, quality of life, all of this. Unfortunately, we found that the medications that currently exist for um, mild cognitive impairment or dementia did not improve, had no benefits, both statistically or clinically significant benefits over a six-month period. So we were um, disappointed to see that. We did find that there were interventions that involved exercise, cognitive training, and rehabilitation that showed an early signal of benefit. When I say that, I mean we found a small significance, although the actual degree of significance we don't believe is clinically significant based on what we know from these, these screening tools, and that it was a very small difference. But it's, it's you know I think it's a positive uh, a hopeful finding, but not enough that we could actually make a recommendation on. In the systematic review, the task force group reviewed evidence on the effectiveness of screening on things such as function, quality of life, caregiver burden, and safety. I mean, these are these outcomes important to patients. There was really no evidence of benefit with, with screening. 
Yes, that's basically the finding. And it, it really makes me think that maybe this is a disease where we don't just wait and screen and then diagnose and treat, which is the traditional medical model. Um, and a lot of people are looking at this as well, that we want to maybe be living a certain lifestyle with uh, exercise and diet that may prevent the actual disease altogether. So I think this is where we're at here is we're we're def definitely not able to say that you can just like leave this off your uh, your list of concerns. You maybe we 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 will hopefully have more evidence in the future to guide us on how we should be living to prevent this. And of course, we'd also like to have maybe more research to see what we could do to treat it if it does start. It sounds like prevention. Once we have more information, maybe the key to this, rather than as you said, an early detection. So basically, the the recommendation from the task force is. Well, we recommend strongly not to screen for mild cognitive impairment in people equal to or over 65 years of age. And then with that, just to make sure that people understand that is screening asymptomatic people. It is not people who have symptoms. Yeah, so clearly we are not suggesting that someone that is having any kind of cognitive symptoms or has a family member that's concerned or they're concerned that, that the clinician should not go on to do what we'd call a kind of a diagnostic inquiry or assessment. Because we have to remember here that uh, cognitive decline is not just in relation to dementia. And there are other illnesses, for instance, um, depression or other that could mimic the same thing. And so we really want clinicians to be treating people that are having symptoms. So what does this recommendation mean for family physicians who may see a lot of older adults in practice? Well, what when you say that, I think of myself, <laughs> so I can't help but think that uh, it reassures me that I do not need to screen healthy uh, older adults for cognitive impairment. It, it reminds me that cognitive impairment is an incredibly important illness in our society. And as Canadians are living longer, which is the good news, we are, are going to be finding um, cognitive impairment that affects people's lives. And I definitely will be ready to diagnose and treat when these things emerge but I will not spend my time going through um, somewhat lengthy and potentially a you know, false positive screening test on, on well people. Which, given all the other things that we have to do in practice, it, it gives us a little bit more time to talk to them about prevention, right? Hopefully discussing proper eating and exercise and sleep and all the other things. Yeah. So Kevin, this guideline brings to light the fact that there are not high quality or not many high quality studies on screening and treatment for mild cognitive impairment. What do you think should be the focus of future research in this area? Well, let's, let me just be really clear that there were no randomized controlled trials that looked at screening populations for mild cognitive impairment and then followed them to see if there was any, any um, let's say, any out outcomes. There was actually none. We did find, of course, you know, there are many, many randomized controlled trials of medications for treatment for mild cognitive impairment. And unfortunately, those ones just didn't show effects, benefits. Some of those were of pretty high quality, but that we just didn't, there was just was no major benefits over, let's say, a six-month period. So I think that what we're talking about the next steps is that we want to be clear to separate these issues. Should this be an illness that we actually screen well people for? Should this be one that we definitely, we, I think we want to develop treatments for when people have the disease, because that is still a, you know, happening quite often, so we definitely want to encourage research in that area. And then we would like, if possible, to have tools 
that are as precise as possible. And this could be a tool that's used when there is a concern. People are def- have worked many years on these tools, but we always want to have tools that are as precise as possible to avoid harms from false positives. One thing that I found very interesting in, in working with the task force on publishing guidelines in the journal is how little evidence there is in so many common areas. Well, I just think that we're dealing with a complex intervention when we talk about kind of screening well people in the community. So a lot of the studies have been done on ill people that have been identified or very high-risk people that have been identified and then are entered into a trial where we're talking about uh, really a community-based well people. This is um, complex because we have to do a number of things to them. We have to maybe uh, get them to agree to be screened. Then we have to get them to make sure they get the results and maybe do a follow-up test. They have to do that. Then they may have to go to either somebody else for treatment or come back to the clinic for a treatment. And, you know, these are multiple steps. So it's a little bit more difficult than some of the more specialty trials where they have already focused down onto the the high-risk symptomatic patient. So I think this is just the, I don't think it's anybody's fault, but this is just a little, it's a challenging area to do research in. Exactly. So Kevin, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about this really important issue. Yes, and we'd like to thank the CMAJ for taking an issue in mild cognitive impairment and the Canadian Task Force. I've been speaking with Dr. Kevin Potty, Associate Professor of Family Medicine and Epidemiology and Community Medicine at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Potty is also Principal Scientist at the C.T. Lamont Primary Healthcare Research Centre at the Bruyere Research Institute at the University of Ottawa. To read the full guideline on screening for cognitive impairment in older adults, visit cmaj.ca.